On our third to last following Jesus sermon, our sermon for today, I've got a title for us, A Commission, A Prediction, and A Rumor. A Commission, A Prediction, and A Rumor. And frankly, when I came up with the title, it reminded me a little bit of uh, Karnak the Magnificent. Any of you remember Karnak the Magnificent? Johnny Carson's skit during The Tonight Show through the 70s and 80s recurred uh, as Karnak. Johnny Carson would come out with this big goofy hat on to some kind of Middle Eastern music and Ed McMahon with his great baritone voice would, you know, say that um, Johnny Carson Karnak, excuse me, was going to be given envelopes that the answer was written on the outside, but he had to, you know, say the mystical powers. So Karnak would hold the envelope up to his head, then, you know, say the statement, then blow it open and pull it out, and it would be the punchline. Now, I'm choosing not to show you any Karnak clips for two reasons. One, um, many of them are things that have to do with the 70s and 80s, and we might go, eh, and the other, a lot of them are off color. So, uh, you know, if you want to go home and YouTube Karnak the Magnificent, go for it. You'll get a few chuckles, uh, and you'll also blush a little bit. But that leads us again to my title, A Commission, A Prediction, and A Rumor. And if I were Karnak and Ed McMahon would repeat that, a commission, a prediction, and a rumor, and then he opens the envelope, he would say, what are three things we observe in John 21, verses 15 through 23? What are three things we observe in John 21, verses 15 through 23? If you haven't opened your Bibles already to that passage of Scripture, John 21, 15 through 23, I'd invite you to do that as we turn our attention first, however, to our Scripture memory verse for the month. Our Scripture memory verse for the month reminds us of the same purpose of this sermon, and that is believing that Jesus is the Messiah. Let's say it all together. John 20, 30 through 31. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of His disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. John 20, 30 through 31. Forgive me, I said Christ, it says Messiah. I memorized it that way years ago in the old version of the NIV. If you're not already on the Bible app, the Bible app has all these uh, sermon notes built into them, but you can write them down from here as well. But it is available to you there and again linked from our bulletin page on our website. Let's pray together. God, our Father, as we turn our attention to your word, we're so thankful that you've given us your word, the bread of life, that by it we might be sustained as followers of Jesus. And as we focus on this story this morning, Peter's reinstatement or recommissioning, would we not miss any truth you'd have us to learn? We pray this in the name of Jesus. And all God's people said, amen. We've got three major points on our sermon today, but before we get there, a quick note. There are four pairs of synonyms that many commentators make a big deal about in this passage of Scripture. The one they make the biggest deal about is love. There are two different Greek words for love used here. We'll talk about that in just a moment. 
The second one is what they do with the sheep, care for the, in the care of the sheep, either feeding or tending to the sheep versus pasturing or shepherding the sheep. And then the third one is actually sheep or lambs. What do you call those animals? Uh, well, it's you know, used to speak of uh, people, us, his followers. And then the fourth one is the word no. That there are different words in Greek for the word no as well, and that comes in play here as well. All of these in our first point, that's why I'm explaining them now. Your first point on your outline is that Jesus' commission teaches us there is work to do. Jesus' commission teaches us there's work to do. So let me read that for you now. I didn't read the uh, scripture passage in entirety to save a little bit of time. It says in John 21, verse 15 through 17. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Verse 16. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. Verse 17, the third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. They'd finished eating. The meal that Jesus prepared for them, that was last week's sermon. You can go back and find that on the internet if you'd like to, where Jesus had the fish and the bread waiting for them after that second miraculous catch of fish, 153 large fish, in order to teach them that he was going to continue to lead them and provide for them. But we've got a different lesson that Jesus is teaching today. It's also a lesson about discipleship. The term we use around here is following Jesus, right? That a disciple is a learner, a student, an apprentice of Jesus, being trained by Jesus. So our colloquial term is Christ follower. And we say at Southview that we are growing Christ followers as a noun. That's who we are. But we are growing Christ followers as a verb. That's what we do. Jesus says, Simon, do you love me more than these? Now, there's some debate what Jesus was talking about. Was he looking back to the boat or boats and the nets and the supplies to be a fisherman? I.e., Simon, do you love me more than your work? Or was he looking at the other gathered disciples, the six other men, um, four of them named and two of them unnamed, who had gone out onto the boat with Simon that night and caught nothing until Jesus led to that miraculous catch? Was he talking about those? It doesn't necessarily matter what Jesus is talking about because of what happens next. This is where you get the first of our four synonyms. Let's look at verse 15 together. Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Now, Jesus and Simon, it's important to remember, Simon Peter, we're most probably having this discussion in Aramaic, the common language of the day. And then the gospel writer, John, records it in Greek later. So John, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, chose certain words to record things versus other words. 
And those words, of course, would be because they captured the meaning of it or because the Holy Spirit just flat out said, John, use agape here, use phileo here. Agape is a word that is, we call it otherish, right? It's God-powered love. It's supernatural. It's other-focused and it's self-sacrificing. That's what agape love is. And so Jesus asked him, Simon, son of John, do you agape me? Do you otherish me? Do you have the ultimate pinnacle, selfless sort of love for me? And it's interesting what happens next. Simon says in the end of verse 15, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. But he uses a different word there, at least. John writes it down as a different word, phileo. You know, Jesus, I love you like a brother. I have an affectionate love for you, a family love. You ask, do I love you this way? I'm saying I love you this way. Jesus answers him, feed my lambs. Now, that question of the two types of love used here, as I said, commentators really get hung up on this one, as if agape love is, as I said, the pinnacle, the ultimate type of self-sacrificial love, and that phileo love is somehow lesser. But we need to keep in mind a couple things. One, elsewhere in the New Testament, even in the writings of John, in his Gospels, and in 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John that he wrote, he uses the two words interchangeably. But throughout the New Testament, Paul does as well, uses agape and phileo almost interchangeably in the same sentence, especially in Greek where sentences are a lot longer than most of our English sentences. The second thing to keep in mind is although we may judge Peter, get all high and mighty on Peter, ha, Peter, you don't love Jesus like he asked. You couldn't even say it. I could do it, Peter. Shame on you. Same way we get uppity with Peter for denying Jesus three times, yet we deny him more than three times every day by our actions and by our words. Don't get self-righteous in judgment of Peter. Maybe it is that we should consider sympathetically Peter... That Jesus is saying, do you love me this way? A supernatural, otherish, selfless sort of way. And Peter realizes he can't say that yet. And he's honestly responding to Jesus. I don't love you this way, Lord. I can't love you this way. I'm not full enough of who you are to answer honestly that I love you that way. Let's go on to verse 16. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? He says, do you agape me, otherish me? And he answered, Lord, you know that I phileo you, love you. And then Jesus changes the response this time. The first time he said, feed or tend my lambs. This time he says, take care of, shepherd or pasture my sheep. There's a difference there, isn't there? It's one thing if, uh, you know, Carl Brown was out of town and the whole Brown family and Carl said, Aaron, I need you to come over and feed the horses for me. I'd go, okay, Carl, you got some things to teach me. I grew up in the city. I don't know about feeding horses, but I'm a pretty quick learner and I'll trust you to tell me the right thing to do. And it'd be one thing if I came over for a couple days and fed Carl's horses. But I don't have the knowledge to tend to Carl's horses long term. I'd be calling up vets, and I'd be calling up Carl. I'd call anybody that knew anything about horses. How do I take care of these horses? I'm a city kid. There's a difference between simply feeding versus pasturing, shepherding, and having a long-term relationship here. 
And though we don't want to make too much of that synonym, I think we need to point it out that Jesus uses it to add a different shade, a deeper shade of meaning to his calling to Peter. Let's move on to verse 17. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because the Lord asked him the third time, and he's asked him again, do you agape me? And he says there, Lord, you know all things, and you know that I love you. Jesus responds again, feed my sheep. Let's concentrate on the word no there. The first two times when Peter answers back to Jesus in verse 15 and 16, he uses the Greek word no oida, O-I-D-A. Oida means to recognize something, to simply say, yeah, that's Pastor David. I know that's Pastor David. I've seen him before. Even with that cool Millennium Falcon mask on, that's Pastor David. I oida him. But it's a different thing to say that I know somebody by experience. I could point back there and to say, Miss Mary Duncan. Miss Mary and I served this church alongside for years, and she's a blessing and a gift. And I can say, I know Mary Duncan by experience. I know the times she got mad at me because I needed it. I know the times she helped me out because I missed something and she was filling in the gaps. And I know how she prayed for me and I know how I prayed for her. We have a relationship developed over time. There's a depth of knowledge there. The first two times Peter answers Jesus, he says, Jesus, you know just by seeing that I love you. The third time, Jesus He says to Jesus, Lord, you know by experience. We've spent three years together, Jesus. I've given my life for you. I've seen you give your life for others. I have seen you sacrifice yourself on the cross now. I know you, Lord, with a depth of understanding. And you know I, phileo, love you affectionately. It's interesting, this exchange of words. It says there in verse 17 that Peter was hurt when Jesus asked him the third time. Of course he was hurt. Jesus knows our hearts. He knows our minds. He demands our honesty. He demands humility which the fruit of that humility is brokenness and confession and surrender. And Jesus is not trying to be mean to Peter. Peter is going to be the rock upon which the church is built. Jesus is strengthening Peter's faith as he's testing him at the same time to get him to the point of saying, Lord, you know how I feel humbly. Broken before the Lord. It leads to your first application point there on your outline. And it says, if I am a Christ follower, I am called and gifted to serve. Jesus was saying, 
You've got to feed my sheep. You've got to tend my lambs. You've got to feed my lambs. You're called to do this job. You're gifted to do this job. Friends, even though you may not be a pastor, and you, none of us, are the Apostle Peter, but we all have a job that Jesus has called us to. What is your job? That's probably the job He's called you to, whether you are a banker or a state employee or a professor or a stay-at-home mom or a retired person. Whatever you are, He's called you to that, and He's gifted you and equipped you to that. So your application question there is, how am I serving Jesus? How am I serving Him? In my job, in my life, do I see myself as a called, gifted, equipped servant of Jesus? That I'm not just out there doing things on my own because I got to do them, but I have in my mind that I'm called by Jesus to do this the best I can, that I work for a university, and I'm going to be the best employee in my department for that university for the glory of God in this university, that I'm planting a church to reach Spanish-speaking people in Lincoln, Nebraska, and I'm going to make myself so much like Christ that people are attracted to me and attracted to the gospel. Stay-at-home mom, and I've got three small kids to take care of, but because I love Jesus and I love them as treasures... I'm going to do everything I can to bring glory to God through this role that I have. How well am I serving? That leads us to our second point on your outline, that Jesus' prediction teaches us there is a death to die. Our first point, of course, was that there's work to do. And while we're alive, there's work to do. And I'm I'm not trying to be hard-hearted here that saying there's a death to die, but Let's read the scripture, verse 18 and 19. Jesus says to Peter in his ongoing response after saying, feed my sheep there in the end of verse 17. I tell you the truth, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and you went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hand and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Now, we're thinking of elderly people, right? Maybe you've had someone in your life that you've had to assist them in that area. But just to make sure we don't miss what he means, John adds an editorial comment in verse 19. Read that with me. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. At the time John is writing this gospel, about 90 A.D., About 60 years after Jesus' crucifixion, Peter had already been martyred. Peter had been crucified, tradition tells us, upside down because he was said he was not worthy to be crucified in the same manner of his Lord Jesus. So he died on a cross hanging upside down. John and his readers that were believers in Jesus and knew of Peter knew that. John is reporting what Jesus said, but also looking back at what already has happened. We may not want to think about it, but we're all going to die someday. And that should make us think about how we live. And what does Jesus say at the end? He says, follow me. The last two words in verse 19, then Jesus said to him, follow me. In the Greek, 
It's a present imperative. It means keep on following me. It means I know you're a follower already, Peter, but don't stop following. Keep on following me. Makes me think of the hymn, Love So Amazing, So Divine, Demands My Life, My Soul, My All. Everything I have while I'm alive until the point of my death. As 2 Corinthians 5, 14 and 15 says, For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all, Jesus, and therefore all died, and he died for all, that those who live, that's us, should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and was raised for them. There's a death to die, which leads to your statement on your outline. If I'm alive... Chances are good that I will die. I mean, the statistics on death are pretty impressive, right? One out of one people dies. There's been a few notable exceptions, miraculously, in the Bible. And if Jesus comes back while we're still alive, then we'll be raptured. But until that point, one out of one people dies. It's not a matter of if you're going to die, it's when you're going to die and how you're going to die. So I say this not as a joke, but as a reminder, as a warning. To consider how we live. Are we just existing, passing time, going day to day? Are we living on purpose, with intention to follow Jesus, to make disciples, to grow Christ followers? Which begs that question, how well prepared am I to die? That's the next question on your outline there. How well prepared to die am I? Have you lived your life in such a way that if you died today, you'd be dying with no regrets? That you've sought to be at peace with all people, you've sought forgiveness, you've lived honestly, you've lived humbly, you've lived with Christ type of otherish, self-sacrificing love, you've told other people you love them, so that if you died today, you'd die without regrets. If not, what do you need to change in order to be that way? Who do you need to have a healing conversation with? Who do you need to confess to? Is it God himself or someone or both? How do you need to humble yourself? Our first point on our outline, Peter was reinstated, recommissioned. He was reminded of his job to do, to make disciples feed sheep. Our second point on our outline, Peter was reminded that his job not only was to make disciples, but in a one-on-one relationship with Jesus to follow him, even to the point of death, which leads us to the third point on our outline this morning. The disciples' rumors remind us there is a master to follow. This passage of Scripture from beginning to end, just a few verses, is about discipleship. It's about following Jesus. It's about the cost of following Jesus. So let's read these last few verses in verse 20 through 23. If you've got your Bible there, look with me. Peter turned and saw that the disciple whom Jesus loved, that's John that's writing this gospel, was following them. So it may have been that Jesus and Peter walked off a little bit from the group to have this conversation. Peter turns around and sees John there. And notice John adds the parenthetical statement. This is the one who had leaned against him and said, Lord, who's going to betray you? Verse 21. When Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? 
Now, Peter's just had this heartbreaking conversation with Jesus. It's not even over yet, right? In which Jesus has asked him three times, do you love me, do you love me, do you love me? Peter couldn't answer the same way. And then he tells him, you're going to die. He tells him, follow me until you die. And now Peter looks around at John and says, but what about that guy? If this is what you're going to say to me, what are you going to say to him? That's one way to take it. Or maybe it was out of love. Jesus, if this is what's going to happen to me, what about John? I love John. That's another way to take it. One way or the other, it would seem that Peter is more concerned now about John and what's going to happen to John than what Jesus has just said to him. Has Peter missed the point here? As human beings, we tend to focus on comparison. We know or feel that we're all right if we're okay compared to somebody else, right? Am I at least making a grade better than that guy? Am I doing better than that gal in the department? But that's not the way it works with God. Our concern for others can sidetrack us from God's calling on our life. Comparing myself from others can keep me from being who God wants me to be. God doesn't want me to be Pastor David. He wants me to be Pastor Aaron. God doesn't want me to be Pastor on hell. He wants me to be Pastor Aaron. That's the problem here. Peter's sidetracking from his calling to ask, what about John? Let's go on, verse 22. Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. The last two words of Scripture we have recorded from Jesus to Peter, follow me. Your job, Peter, I told you just a moment before, follow me. Your job, Peter, the last two words recorded in Scripture that I say to you, follow me. Verse 23, because of this, the rumor spread among the brothers that this disciple, John, would not die. But Jesus did not say that he would not die. He only said, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? John, again, inserting an editorial comment, just statement there. If I call myself a Christ follower, then Jesus must be my priority. I shouldn't be worried about the next guy. I shouldn't care what I'm doing and how I stack up in comparison to the next gal, but that Jesus should be my priority. My priority is following Jesus. So why am I always worried about others? It's my human nature, my sin nature. Comparison, it's been said, is a thief of joy. And how do you avoid comparison? You have a life, an image, a purpose, a security that's found in Christ alone. That you grow your life in Christ by the time you spend with Him every day in prayer, every day reading His Word, every day journaling and writing what He's teaching you. Jesus' purpose here His definite purpose, back to the title, was commission, prediction. Jesus is defining being a Christ follower. Discipleship. 
And Jesus desires that we live on purpose. Jesus desires that our purpose is him and following him in obedience, helping others to do the same as we are a growing Christ follower and are we helping others to grow as Christ followers. That's who he wants us to be. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for your word as always and that you've taught us once more what you've called us to do, but more importantly, who you have called us to be. That we are to be Christ followers. And as we are Christ followers, the doing to help others become Christ followers and help ourselves continue to grow in following you will follow along naturally. So God, our Father, our prayer today is for all of us that are believers in Jesus, that if there's anything we need to confess in order that we might follow Jesus more fully or more freely, and we haven't already confessed that today, that we do it right now. And God, we also pray for those who may be here today who have never trusted Christ Jesus as their Savior and Lord, that if they know they need to admit they're a sinner say they believe Jesus is your son and confess him as their Savior and Lord that they would do that now. Father, we thank you for your presence among us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.